welcome to a taste of horror. Stephen Boltz is the creative director of the Knack Theatre in Melbourne. He's also a horror movie enthusiast with around 3,000 DVDs and VHS videos in his collection. Stephen, welcome to 15 Minutes of Fame. Or should I say, welcome to a taste of horror. <laughs> Thank you, No. How are you today? I'm good today. Yeah, I'm feeling good. You're feeling good and you're here to tell us about your journey with horror, right? Yes. Well, I'm going to ask you a few questions and we're going to hopefully um, have everybody on the edge of their seat. <laughs> so let's give this a go, shall we? All right. Here we go. When did you first take an interest in horror movies? I was 11 or 12 years old. Uh, there was an issue of Famous Monsters of Filmland that I got suckered in because there was a Raiders of the Lost Ark image on the when front. You, when you, is, that, is that a magazine? Famous yeah. Monsters is a magazine, okay, yeah. Right. And there was a, an image of, of uh, Tote, the Nazi, melting on the front of this. And I was... I was into Raiders, you know, just so I picked this magazine up, but there were, uh, they were talking about all sorts of things. Uh, and one of them, well, there was Excalibur in there they covered, I believe they covered The Howling, uh, Joe Dante's The Howling, but there Which was- Which is a werewolf, yeah, werewolf yeah, story. Fantastic, yep. uh, fantastic movie. But there was also um, a blow-by-blow -blow synopsis of Friday the 13th Part 2, for some reason, in this- like, it wasn't reportage. It wasn't any behind the scenes. They weren't talking to the makeup crew or anything like that. It was literally just a recap of the movie. And for some reason, that, that dragged me in. I hadn't even seen the movie. I hadn't seen the first one. I'd, I'd seen horror. Now, I'd been into horror since I was... I remember watching The Bride of Frankenstein on... It was either... Uh, with with Boris Karloff, Karloff and the Elsa Lanchester, nineteen thirty one movie is that right? Yeah, Am yeah, I yeah. correct? Yeah. So okay. like I remember watching this on TV uh, as as like I would have been five or six at this point. It was either Doctor Shock, who was a a, a horror host at the time. You had horror hosts over here. I know there were some, uh, or it was Creature Double Feature, one of those on a Sunday afternoon. So I'd seen that, but I had gone to see the. Uh, the 1976 King Kong remake mm -hmm. in in the cinema as a kid. So whether you count that as horror or or not, that was more of an Irwin Allen disaster film, I think. Than, so would you anything. would you say that horror attracted you? You were attracted to horror at six years old. I don't know that I was attracted to to horror necessarily. You know, I mean, there was something about Bride of Frankenstein, and honest to God, all I remember about Bride of Frankenstein are the little people in the glass cases in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, from that from that period, I remember that. Um, I like um, for me, it's. I mean, you, you mentioned the the uh, movie collection that yeah. that we've got there, and while yeah, I've got like thirty three hundred titles in there, they're not all horror. It's not all horror. It's it's uh, a wide range of of. I mean. I'm a big Richard Curtis fan. You know, his earlier, funnier films, Four Weddings and, and things like that. I think, um, so I've got romantic comedies, I've got Marvel films, I've got, you know, sci-fi and all this sort of stuff. Horror is a big part of that, but my two favorite genres are uh, horror movies or film noir. Okay. So I've got, what I like, I think, is the story. You know, and for me, horror has something that some of the other stories don't. And that's, there's some sort of, um, how do I say this? Some sort of psychological 
Well, see, I, I, I'll just jump in here and say this to you. <laughs> I think the reason I like horror stories is because they're operatic in style. And they have a bit of everything. So, um, you know, you have a little bit of a romance in there. You quite often have a little bit of sex in there, <laughs> which is which is always fun. There's a little bit of humour in there. Yeah. Then you definitely have drama. Yeah. And, of course, you have the murder, you know. So I, I find horror to be really operatic. And I think that's what attracts me to horror. Okay. Because, you know, I direct as well as you know. And I find I find that that, that um, idea of working on something that has so many levels really excites me. For, for me, I think, uh, for anything, I think any story is, uh, uh, there are psychological buttons you've got to hit when you're telling a story. It doesn't matter if it's a romantic comedy or a horror movie. There's psychological buttons that you need to hit in order for it to be a story. But a, um, a horror movie is, is somehow, horror movies are, are cathartic in a way. Like you, you move through, you face death. In, in these things and always come out on the other end. You, you've got the final girl in the horror movie who, you know, lives, you, you're living vicariously through the final girl. She faces death. She kills the, the, the bad guy, the demon, the, the, you know, Jason, Michael, whoever it is, and comes out on the other end, better for it. And you can sit there and watch that and you're frightened. You're, you know, you're, you're, uh, your heart rate goes up watching this, mm-hmm. but you always know you're going to come out well on the, other, on the other side. You don't get something like that with, um, like in general, your sci-fi flick. You know, it's always the same. I mean, that's something like even watching Star Wars, you know how it's going to end. There's, there's really, and yet somehow it's not the destination, it's the journey. So you're going along with this, so but with you, horror... Would, would you say, Stephen, then there's something in horror films, because I'm trying to get into you right here. Because yeah. <laughs> I know you're really enthusiastic. We, we've been chatting um, at parties and in different events. So, so would you say horror somehow or other releases something inside of you it must release something that stimulates you in some kind of way. And it must do that with me as well, because I go back to horror films. Yes. So, you know... Look, that must be true. That must be true. People who like horror movies, like... There's something that they, they connect with. They don't know what it is. And I couldn't I couldn't say. I really don't know. And I don't know if I want to tug on that thread, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. But it's not a bad, you know what I mean? It's not a bad thing. It's not like I'm, you know, Charles Manson sitting on the edge of my no, bed. No, well, I, I wasn't thinking that. <laughs> no, but, but, you know. but you do. You, you, you could, there's something there that, that draws you uh, uh, deeper than like a, a drama or, or something else, you know, like Apocalypse Now. Great movie. Fantastic movie. Am I going to watch that or am I going to watch Return of the Living Dead? You know. Of course, you know, with, with Apocalypse Now, I could argue on this side that it's a horror movie anyway. Ah, you know, you, you can know, make, you you can make the horror you. argument for almost anything, to be you honest, can. you know. But um, uh, I do think, uh, like for me, um, and there's that, you know, is Silence of the Lambs a horror movie? Well, yes, it is. It is. Stop subcategorizing everything to a point. Yes, it's obviously a horror movie, but it's, uh, um, it, it doesn't have, like the ones I like, I'll, I'll, I'll differentiate here. I like monster flicks monster flicks whereas silence of the lambs yes we can make the argument oh it's a psychological blah 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 right sure and it's that's way different than dawn of the dead right Mm -hmm. but dawn of the dead has a social commentary thing going on (laughs) that you know you can you can look deeper you can hide uh, uh uh you can hide a a 
a social commentary sort of thing in a horror movie, whereas you you don't get to do that sort of storytelling so much in other in other genres. Of course, if we jump back into the fifties to the to the oh. I guess science fiction horror films of the fifties, you know, a lot of social commentary was mm. hidden in those horror films, yeah, wasn't it? Absolutely. I mean, um, uh, um, the Body Snatchers. What's it? Oh, um, invasion of the Body invasion Snatchers. Invasion of the, the, the original. Sn- the original one. Yes. This is great. The original one was um, uh, an anti-communist. Uh, film the remake in 1978 Philip Kaufman's was was more to do with I don't know it depends on who you read it more to do with cults the love cults that were there in the 60s 70s or um, I think Victoria Cartwright has the line in that movie about the environment so we you know we breathe the air the air that we breathe now is just so polluted uh, the food is polluted we don't know what's getting into our system and how it's changing us and you know so there's that it's either um uh, a social horror or an ecological horror, depending yeah. on how you look at that. Absolutely. Yeah. And then there was a third one. We're not going to count about uh, the the one in the '90s, uh, but the third remake called The Invasion uh, with Nicole with Kidman. Nicole Kidman. Yeah. 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 Is about uh, government control. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fantastic. They've got the same story. They told it almost beat for beat, exactly the same way, and three different themes. And I love that with horror. You can do and that. If we, and we, if we jump back one of those movies, there was another movie made, which I think you skipped over. Mm-hmm. And it was directed by... I'm trying to remember that director. Do you remember? Abel that? Ferreira. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And that's an odd movie. That one yeah, that's an odd, odd movie. Yeah, that's I don't, an I don't, odd. I don't, I don't rate that one very much. I, for me, it doesn't feel like a remake. It felt like... Oh, here's this body snatchers idea. We're going to go another way. It didn't need to be coupled with Invasion of the Body Snatchers, especially when Philip Kaufman's movie was so obviously a remake of the original, but told a different way. I think that's what's fun about it for me. That's what's fun about it. You look at um, The Fly, you know, oh my gosh, you look at the original Fly versus Cronenberg's and they're barely recognizable. But, but of course, the fly has the is really talking a little bit of a metaphor for AIDS, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Because of the time it was made, yeah. you know. So absolutely. So that, Whereas the first one is about uh, the dissolution of the nuclear family. Yeah, absolutely. You know? yeah. Same story, two different two different um, uh, stories, basically. So here's a question for you: You're going away for a long weekend. The weather's shit. You're going to Crystal Lake. Oh, beautiful. Right? You're off for a holiday, <laughs> Crystal Lake, yeah? yeah? You know where I'm going with this? What horror movies do you take with you? Or what horror movies would you recommend someone to take with them if they were going on a holiday to Crystal Lake? Okay, well, Crystal Lake, you've got to take Friday the 13th. You're not allowed to not watch that if you're at the lake. You've got to take that one and the first one, though I do love the second one. All the others are rubbish, but the first and second. Take Return of the Living Dead, which is just brilliant, just Mm -hmm. a brilliant film. And horror-wise, let me think on this a second. The Color Out of Space. I have never heard of it, Mm. and I don't know it at all. Just a couple of years ago, it was made. uh, stars Nicolas Cage. It's an H.P. Lovecraft adaptation. And it's probably... They've been adapting Lovecraft since the, I don't know, the the 60s. And the thing with Lovecraft is the way he wrote, he sort of just didn't describe things. You know, for him, the monsters were, if I describe it, you would go mad. Well, that just, you know, that lets your imagination run wild, of course. But it makes things really difficult to adapt when you're making a film. Uh, so they've never really been, you know, reanimator, great film. Very little Lovecraft in that. It, the Color Out of Space nails it. 
nails it. Okay. It's a it's very nearly perfect film. Is there is there <laughs> one other film you would take to Crystal Lake with you? Hmm. If you could see his face right now. One second. He's he's running over you know, three thousand like... movie titles <laughs> that he's got at home. People say, "What's your favorite movie?" Oh, please! Oh my god! I think if you're you're in the woods, you've got to. If you're in the woods, you've got to take stuff like that. Color Out of Space is about how uh, um, a meteor lands in Nicolas Cage's property and transforms the the area, right? So you got to take that one. You got to take the um, the uh, Fridays. I would suggest another outdoor horror film because you're stuck in there, but you can't do another, you know, camp. The Evil Dead. Something like I was gonna say something very much like Evil Dead, the first one or the remake, because I'm not a fan of the second one. No, no. Let's just moving moving along. One of the other things I know about you from conversations at parties is that you're a Stephen King lover. Yeah. And there's been a lot of um, Stephen King movies made from his books out of all of those movies that have been made what what are the the two favorites of yours or what do you think is the most successful adaptation mm. i was i was actually just having this conversation the other night uh, about adaptations and what makes a successful adaptation is it you know fidelity to the source or is it box office you know, if people just look at box office then there's the shining but no i fucking hate the shining and i can't I can't. I'm in a state of shock. We have a whole. I am shocked. Like, I'm really shocked. I love The Shining. Yeah. But yeah. No, I have a whole podcast I'm developing about how much I hate The Shining, really seriously. Uh, um, because it's a terrible adaptation. It's a terrible adaptation. And I think if you're going to adapt uh, a, a novel, you have to remain faithful to the source, you know? Whereas for me, the greatest adaptation, and there were changes. I'm not talking about, you know, not changing a word or, or things like that. I mean, you've got to because it's a different medium. For me, Salem's Lot, the 1979 TV movie Salem's Lot is the absolute hands down when you're talking horror because you can do, you can do, you know, Stand By Me. You can look at Shawshank Redemption and things like that. We're just, we're just going to focus on horror here. Salem's Lot by far still uh, just one of the best adaptations. Reggie Nalder as Mr. Barlow. Now, there's a, there's an example. In the book, Mr. Barlow was far more Dracula. I mean, he had this flowing hair, he had the mustache, you know, and he spoke, right? Reggie Nalder is more Nosferatu in, in the movie, and he doesn't speak at all. So he's got James Mason following him around the whole movie, basically, you know, being his mouthpiece. Now, that's different uh, uh, from the book. That's something they, they changed. But as as a as an adaptation, I think Salem's Lot just nails it. I like you know the the early Dead Zone. Dead Zone is another one. Cronenberg's David Dead Cronenberg. Zone is amazing. Yeah, I'm not. I don't. I don't know. Cujo's okay. You know the later films. I don't know everything. Like I haven't seen the new Firestarter, but I probably won't. Honestly. What's the worst Stephen King adaptation that you think you've seen? Do you think it's The Shining? You, are you, you are, like, are you convinced that The Shining is is the worst adaptation? No, 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 no. no. I, I think um, I think The Shining missed the point. Uh, you know, The Shining missed the point. And this has been, you know, King has spoken about this before uh, that Kubrick couldn't understand. He not understand. He couldn't get behind the fact that the hotel was haunted. So Kubrick made a an intellectual horror film rather than a visceral horror film. And for me, like the whole all right, you nailed me down. I'll go into it. the the uh, uh, the thing about the thing about the shining, the book is that it's it's about a haunted man. 
the the hotel. I mean, sure, it's haunted, but Jack himself is haunted, haunted by um, his father, his alcoholic father, his alcoholic abusive father, haunted by uh, the own uh, his own abuse of his son. You know, when he broke Danny's arm, haunted by the student that he beat the crap out of in Vermont. You know, he's haunted by all these things. Um, the hotel exacerbates this, right? Whereas in the movie, as soon as it opens and you see Jack Nicholson, you see Randall P. McMurphy, and you're just like rubbing your hands together, waiting for him to go insane. In the book, you don't want Jack to go insane. You want him to beat this thing. And you never do in, in the movie. And you know he won't because he's Randall P. McMurphy and he's going to go nuts. So instead of being haunted by any of this, we just go to the haunted hotel and we work on Jack's psyche, which is great. But if you want to make a movie about that, go make a movie about that. This is not this is no longer The Shining, you know. Uh, So I have a difficult time watching that movie sort of in a vacuum and judging it on its own Mm -hmm. because I know there's so much a, a richer backstory to it. So I'm 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 thinking um, you're not crazy about auteur the auteur theory as far as directors go. If if you um, I mean I'm a Kubrick fan. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, that's that you didn't like that he took and made it his own that story. Yeah. So looking at directors that have directed horror movies, who who is the greatest in in your mind? Who is the greatest horror movie director and why? I think I'd go to Cronenberg on that. I'd go to Cronenberg. Um, and as far as why, that's a little more difficult. I mean, I look at things like The Brood, you know? Yeah, The Brood is a fantastic wow. film. Wow. Yeah, I would yep. just watch that again a couple of weeks ago. Yep. And it's, if, um, maybe we should tell people, if you haven't seen The Brood, because a lot of people haven't seen The Brood, it wasn't one of his most popular films. Definitely in Australia, it didn't get a big distribution. Okay. But if you haven't seen The Brood, it is a really, really good film. I'm trying to think what what it's really about. It's 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 really about mental health. It is. It's about mental health, mental mental health health issues. Um, It also sort of follows, uh, uh, like I mentioned before with Body Snatchers, uh, the cult uh, symbolism in there. Um, This retreat, the... What would that even be? What would you even call that? Because it's so, it's such a bizarre, it's almost science fiction at the same time because you're entered into this world where this this sort of this sort of medical treatment exists and mm-hmm. you're just asked to accept that so that's a little bizarre um it's about focusing on rage and this woman this woman yeah the story the story is about a woman who um when she gets angry she basically spits out a kid yeah and that kid murderous kid. Mur- is murderous <laughs> and is more angry than she is. Yeah, that's that's the story. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, so there, I mean, there's that one. Uh, if you look at something um, like, oh, let's go even earlier than that. Rabbit. Uh, Rabbit is just it's a it's a zombie movie. It's basically a, a zombie movie, but one of those zombie movies like The Crazies, where they're not zombies, they're not dead, but they're you know whatever infected. We'll call them, you know. But it's told in such a such a I don't. I want to continue using the word bizarre, but it's the only one that comes to mind because Cronenberg's really hard to nail down. Have you seen Naked Lunch? I've seen Naked Lunch, and I've I've seen Rabbit as well. And I was going to say to you, um, it had Marilyn Chambers, Marilyn Chambers who was yeah. a porn star in it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I always I find those choices from um, Cronenberg really interesting. That he would, you know, he, I mean, he wasn't that well known when he did Rabbit. No, 
Um, and, but he reaching out to a porn star, it just is, is such an interesting yeah. casting choice. <laughs> right. And she's actually pretty good. In she's it. great. She's yeah, she's fantastic in that. in that. You know, so you get her in that, and it's you're going. It's it does something to you psychologically going, what, what why, how, what, how's this going to work? You yeah. know, and then it does. I mentioned Naked Lunch. There's elements of horror in Naked Lunch. And you wouldn't necessarily put that in the horror section at your local local yeah. video store. But a lot of his movies defy description anyway. So is he a horror director? Well, probably not. He's, he's really a social director, isn't he? <laughs> he's, like, he's looking at society and he's creating horror movies that are reflecting society in a, in a strange way. question I want to ask you now, because okay. we're moving on, we're kind of getting through the classics, which is really my favourite thing. Okay. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to take us there. Alfred Hitchcock, mm-hmm. The Birds, Psycho. Okay. What do you prefer and why do you prefer it? Hmm. I think I prefer I think I prefer Psycho to the Birds. The why of it is a little a little murky. I know the um and again it's the backstory of Psycho. It's the Ed Gein business and how Robert Block, you know, followed the Ed Gein story. Robert Block's the writer. Wrote the, wrote the wrote novel. Wrote the book of, of Psycho. Yeah, yeah, wrote the novel, um, not based on, but inspired by the guy in Wisconsin, uh, uh, Ed, Ed Gein, who had a mother fixation. And, and so he did Hitchcock sort of channeled as well, that. didn't he? Hitchcock, Hitchcock had a mother yeah, fixation. Yeah, Hitchcock, um, Hitchcock troubles me a little bit. I don't want to say I'm not a Hitchcock fan. I can, I can... I can count my fingers the number of Hitchcock films that I really, really love. He sort of he sort of puts me off. Have you seen the movies? Have you seen um, Hitchcock with Anthony Hopkins? Oh yes, yeah, I've seen okay. that. Yeah. And the other one with Toby Jones called The Girl. I have seen The Girl as well. I think Toby Jones was a lot closer to who Hitchcock was mm-hmm. than Hopkins because Hopkins made him this sort of lovable, confused. Uh, I'm sorry. Hitchcock made him this sort of lovable, confused, you know, artiste. And I think, I, ooh, controversial, no, but I think the misogynist view is is a lot more uh, accurate, you know. And that might come from part, partly that mother fixation, but, you know, consistently killing these blondes in his in his movies, right? Which, but also making love to the blondes as well. At the same time. At the same time. Through killing them, which was... He didn't just you know, kill them. He made love to them as well. It's disturbing you know. in its well, own... Well, he didn't. You know, you know, the lead actor. The lead did. would. Yeah. But I, I've, I've always been troubled by Hitchcock. Uh, and you see, the, you see these interviews where he says, you know, I thought, I thought Psycho was a comedy. I couldn't understand. Come on, Hitch. You know, now you're just being... You know, what, what, I don't know what he's trying to do there because... Clearly, Robert Block didn't intend that book to be a comedy. And I don't think Joe Stefano wrote it as a comedy. I think whatever, if he's being honest, and whatever whatever comedy Hitch saw in that is is troubling, is really troubling. I say, I actually, prefer actually, I Psycho. Think, as, you, as you say that about Hitchcock, mm. I don't think he, he's being serious when he says those things. I think he's showing off. I think he's worked hard to get where he was, and he just feels he can say anything, and people... Yeah will listen to it and print it. That's, That's troubling. That's troubling. <laughs> I w- <laughs> Tell me your real thoughts about the movie, Hitch. I want to know what, you know. But I do. I, I, I dig the Psycho story because I dig the Ed Gein story. You know, obviously um, uh, inspired Texas Chainsaw and Buffalo Bill and all that. Everybody knows all that. But Now, now over lunch, um, you, you did get very excited about Texas Chainsaw oh. Massacre. Yeah, Texas and is a great movie. if anybody out here 
listening to this um, podcast doesn't know Texas Chainsaw Massacre, can you give me... I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here. <laughs> can you give them a plug that will make them watch it? Oh, man. Um, that's hey, Now you put me in the PR department. I, <laughs> look, if, if in all these years... Well, pl- tell, Someone me, tell hasn't... me why I should watch it again. It's one of those movies... Okay, I, I was having a... Um, I, I'll give you some backstory. Having a conversation with a friend of mine about... I've been trying to get my own movie off the ground for years now. And it's just not going. Whereas I can't understand why we can't just get some people together, pick up a camera, and go and make the movie. But I keep running into, oh, it's not done that way. That's not the way it's done. Well, Night of the Living Dead... Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Evil Dead were all done that way. <laughs> they were all done that way. Just this group of people who, at Night of the Living Dead, you had 10 people in the company, in Image 10. They each put in $600. And then they realized it wasn't enough. So they got 10 more people to put in $600. And they made the movie for nothing, for basically nothing. They got this off the ground. So... All of these movies that were made on a shoestring budget just by people going out and doing it for passion are all sort of high watermarks in horror. Night of the Living Dead changed the face of horror. Texas Chainsaw changed the face of horror. You had, um, it's, sometimes it's called the first slasher movie, but I, I think you can, I think you can go back, obviously, you know, Psycho, but I, it, it, things sort of develop and then they gel. And I think Psycho was not yet a slasher movie. It had the elements, much, much like, um, you know, The Seven Samurai was uh, the first action movie. Now, you had all those elements in other movies, disparate. This is the first time they were brought together when Kurosawa put them together. So with, with Chainsaw, did the same thing. It is a, it's a watershed moment in horror. And if you're into horror and you haven't seen Chainsaw, it is integral that you see that movie. Not that you like the movie, but that you see it and and at least understand, oh, okay, that was a moment. That was a moment in time mm. where something something happened. And if that hadn't happened, horror isn't where it is today. Okay. Look, I would I would agree with that. I think Chainsaw is a really interesting film. And I don't think you have to like the film mm. to kind of be excited by the yeah. horror in it, if if that's a good yeah. way to describe it. Um, movie I just want to touch on um, briefly, because I think we can't talk horror films without talking The Exorcist. Mm. Mm-hmm. A movie that I think is, is an absolute masterpiece. And its its premise is very simple, good against evil, really easy to yeah. understand, and, and a really beautiful movie, really, in many ways, yeah. a really beautiful movie. Any thoughts on on The Exorcist? I love The Exorcist, and I do. I think it's one of the one of the all time greatest horror movies out. Um, I have a little I have a little um, oh, I don't know. I hit a speed bump at the end when uh, Father it uh, back in two thousand they put out a new cut of The Exorcist. The version you hadn't seen. The version you've never seen. You've never seen right. the version you've never seen. Which until you've seen it. I mean, once you've seen it, then that title makes no sense. It's ridiculous. Just call it the director's cut and be done with it. But they they have a line in there where Chris takes Reagan to the doctor, and the doctor says she has a lesion in her brain. One of the things, of course, in The Exorcist, when Father Father Karras asks, what is your name? Pazuzu says, I am legion, for we are many. And just the, the juxtaposition of lesion and legion leaves for me sort of a gray area, you know? Is she... 
possessed or what's going on. But then you get to the point where, you know, she's levitating, you know, and there've been like, you know, the welts on the skin, that's one thing, you know, her fever, that's another thing, the convulsions in the bed, that's fine. Oh, now she's levitating. Mm, okay, you've tipped your hand. You've tipped your hand. Because for Father Karras, um, he's having a crisis of faith throughout the whole movie. Once he gets proof, his faith is restored. But that's not how faith works, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, it was Douglas Adams uh, in The Hitchhiker's Guide says, you know, proof denies faith. Uh, that how um, uh, man uh, disproved uh, the existence of God by proving mm-hmm. that he exists by faith, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't, I don't know, you get to that point in The Exorcist and it's like, oh, okay, she is possessed. There is a real devil. There is God. Father Karras can now have his faith restored. But but no, I would much rather he'd made that choice on his on his own. I mean, I'm not, you know, Blatty knew what he was doing. This isn't, you know, this is this is just one of my little things that I that I get. Oh, geez, you know, when I'm watching it. Mm. But Max von Sydow, for he's in the movie like 12 minutes or something like that. You know, just incredible, yeah, just incredible. incredible. Um, so is Ellen Burstyn. Ellen Burstyn, who's coming back for the new Exorcist film. Um, is there a new Exorcist? David Gordon Green, who did... Oh, I see the shock on your face. I, I'm shocked. Yeah, I'm David shocked. Gordon Green, who um, who made the new Halloween films. He's making a new um, Exorcist trilogy. And he got Ellen Burstyn to sign on, to come back. And I just read this yesterday. This is great. She, she was explaining why she came back for this and not the others. And, you know, because Exorcist 2, 3, she had nothing to do with. They came to her. David Gordon Green came to her, offered her an obscene amount of money, and she turned it down. So he doubled it, and she turned it down. And then she started thinking, what would it take to get me to do this? And she said to herself, I would set up a scholarship for young acting students, and la la la. So she went back, asked for more money (laughs) for this scholarship, and they gave it to her. So that's why she's coming back for the new one. She's 89 years old and coming back to this. I think that's fantastic. And of course, Ellen Burstyn was part of the Actors Studio in New York uh, many years ago. When I was very, very young in my 20s, I did attend classes which Ellen Burstyn no led. No way! Um, <laughs> and, and I do have my memory of those classes. And she was as incredible as um, she is in The Exorcist. She was in real life. She was, she was a great, great, wow. great teacher. Wow. A great teacher. I think we're sort of coming to the end of our podcast, our um, A Taste of Horror <laughs> podcast, um, just to wrap up everything, sure. where do you think horror and horror movies are now today? And, and what's the future in, in horror movies, do you think? In, in horror in general? Uh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think I've seen a really good horror movie in ages. You know, I keep watching them. I watch the new ones that come out. But there's nothing that's really grabbed me the way the stuff in the 80s did. Like looking, even I mentioned the new Halloween series. I mean, they're fine, but they're not, I don't know. They're they're made by people who clearly love the original movie. That's, you know, that's obvious. Uh, that's all in there. But I, I don't know. I think it feels like um, a copy of a copy. Uh, look, I agree. I think there's something missing from modern horror films. Yeah. Sometimes I think, um, I, was, I mentioned this when we were talking the other, the other night. Sometimes I think it's in the pacing and the editing. Mm. All the films today, all the horror films today, 
are edited with the same pace. <laughs> so it's like listening to the same song over, yeah. just with a different singer. And the singer's not doing anything different. So I, I, do think, I do think for horror to grow from where it is now, it does have to vary that rhythm somewhere oh, there. Oh, man. Just um, thinking back, you know, the, the long takes in the horror movies of the 80s, when you're following someone along, that sets up tension. You can't set up tension if you're you're constantly cutting back. Now, obviously, when you you know cut 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 during a tense scene, yeah. But you want to you want to set up this this dread. That's what's missing. Dread. Tension is fine with quick edits, but they don't do. They don't even do. You know, if any if any take is longer than three four seconds, the audience loses loses interest. And it's on to something else. Whereas you remember, again, Friday the 13th, you've got these POV shots, you know, and following. And my God, it just, it set things up so much. So you don't know, you know, what's going to happen next. And when are we going to cut? Because it's, it's so drastic. When you've got the POV shots, it becomes very unnerving because you don't know when it's going to, when it's going to cut next. And when it does cut, it's usually a jump scare. So they're already priming you for the jump scare. And if it's a John Carpenter movie, you know damn well it's coming, but you don't know when. Nowadays, it's, it could be any time. It's every couple of seconds. There's just no, no tension there at all. And as we're getting to the end of this, we, you mentioned uh, John Carpenter. Of course, we didn't, didn't really touch mm. on John Carpenter. And I guess, I guess when you're talking about horror, there are so many things we didn't talk about. <laughs> like we didn't talk about Boris Karloff oh. and Targets, which I know is one oh. of your, your favourite yeah. favorite movies. So if, um, whoever, if you're listening to this, go and watch Targets because I, know you, I yeah. know you like Targets. Targets and, and just connecting Karloff to that might sound like a monster movie. It's, 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 it's not. It's a social horror film about a sniper in the 60s, the late 60s. Um, and it is. It's fantastic. Fantastic. And Karloff's last film. Stephen, maybe that's the what's missing in horror movies today. Um, because a lot of the films we've spoken about had some sort of social content to them. And maybe the horror films today just doesn't have it. They try. Um, I know that uh, things like Unfriended, you, you know, a horror movie about Facebook. I, I guess that's an attempt at, at social horror, but it kind of misses the it misses the mark. It's too obvious. It's too obvious. Like we talked about, um, you know, Cronenberg earlier. Seeing things like video, well, geez, I don't even know if we want to talk about video drum. It's just, but going to the brood. Now, one audience member can watch the brood and just see horror movie about murderous little kids, and another one can really understand the psychological drama that's going on there. So you've got that. A, a, a movie called Unfriended. That's just basically a stalker film online. There's not much to that. There's no uh, subtext. Well, I think that's it. I think we've we've made it to the end of, <laughs> of the podcast. Um, just before you go, I, I know you're the creative director of Knack Theatre in yeah. Melbourne. Yeah. And, and, I, and do you want to just tell anyone out there uh, who may have a project they want read, just tell them a little bit about what Knack Theatre does and where um, they could possibly send their horror movie <laughs> script or horror play to. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm co-creative director with uh, with my wife, Lourdes, Lourdes Zamanillo. We, um, we started the NAC uh, what, in what we thought was the, the um, end of the pandemic, turned out to be the middle of the pandemic. So we, we got a bit of a slow start. We're for writers. So we, we want to look at work from local 
artists, local writers, uh, who might have had a little harder time getting their work in front of uh, in front of audiences. So we have uh, what we're calling our roundtable series. This actually started by accident a couple of years ago uh, with my play Lenore. We did a table read. And we'd invited some people just to give us notes. And the actors read the, they read the play. And then for two hours afterwards, we had this roundtable discussion. Um, and they gave me fantastic notes. And I thought the play was finished. I ended up doing another draft on it after this. So we thought, hey, this is a great idea. You know, if, if we're, you know, if I needed this, maybe there are other writers out there who did. So we do every month... Um, We've been staging ourselves at The Last Jar. We love it over there, The Last Jar. So we're there monthly. We do table reads. Uh, we've got one coming up in a couple of weeks. Check it on the website, thenacktheater.com. Yeah, see what else we've got, got uh, coming up on the way. Well, that's it. Thank you for coming in today. Stephen Boltz, this has been your 15 minutes. <laughs> Thank you, Noel. Thanks. Of fame. <laughs> <laughs>